Well, you've survived 12, 24 hours, sort of. You've survived. Here we are. You made it. How are you doing? Thumbs up for good, thumbs down for bad, thumbs sideways for so-so. Okay. Well, a lot of thumbs up. Great. All right. Well, this is our opportunity, the time of the day where we talk to you more thoroughly about what is what we're doing here so that we can understand it from a deeper level and that helps inform our practice throughout the day. So I'm going to just start with um, talking about what we're here for, mindfulness. There's this beautiful quote from Diane Ackerman, the naturalist and writer, the poet, who says, on the periodic table of the heart, somewhere between wonderon and unattainium lies presence or mindfulness, which one doesn't so much take as engage in, like a romance, and without which one can live just fine, but not thrive. She's so poetic. And I was thinking, I think about this a lot because I've watched the last 30 years and what I've seen of, of the, in this field and what I've seen is this love affair with mindfulness that's happening that is, has surprised any of us who've been practicing for a long time. And that is... Um, just, just you see it on a cultural level and you're seeing all these institutions going, oh, let's try mindfulness. Mindfulness, it's great. It does this, it's good for that. And it's beautiful to see it. It's amazing because I'm so passionate about it and I love mindfulness so much. And I also kind of worry, uh-oh, is it the flavor of the year? And in another couple of years, it'll be, we'll be on to something else, which is possible. We may be, mindfulness already peaked. I saw it on one of those lists that said, the five words I never want to hear again in 2018, mindfulness was on the list. Um, And as you know, it's being incorporated in so many different facets of society and institutions, and there's all this scientific research on it, and the scientists are excited about it. And, And really, it's this... The scientists, the medical profession, of course, it's probably East Coast, West Coast, and maybe not less in in the middle of the country. It has international scope. Um, And it's, so it's, it's just interesting to see the ways in which mindfulness has been so embraced. And I can't help but think that in these times where there is so much suffering from distraction and so much anxiety where there's the like as the as the access to media and information grows stronger the desire for something else to counteract it to come back into ourselves also grows stronger and so mindfulness is kind of rising with the the um the people's as as the mental health issues grow and grow as, as there's more anxiety, as there's more depression, as loneliness becomes this huge factor in society. You know, they're saying now that, they used to say that it's, um, it was mostly um, seniors who stu- suffered from loneliness. But now they're saying that it's one of the biggest issues that young people under the age of 30 are facing right now. We need something. We need mindfulness. And how great to fall in love with mindfulness as opposed to something else. I don't know what that other thing would be, but we can not speculate or speculate. So um, so how did I get started with mindfulness? I was not interested in mindfulness at all. I grew up in a family. They were kind of into alternative spirituality. My um, parents were... It was the 70s. They were trying Est and, you know, all those kinds of things. Um, I actually did get a TM mantra when I was eight years old, a transcendental meditation mantra. I think I did it for three days. Um, my brother, we, I don't know, any, anybody here have a TM mantra? Transcendental meditation? A few of you. So basically, if you go to TM and you get a mantra, you're told, under no circumstances can you ever reveal your mantra to anybody. And... Um, we had an older cousin who was about five years older than us. My brother, I was like eight, my brother was six. And he, of course, wanted to know. 
because you're not allowed to tell. And so he bribed my brother, and my brother sold his mantra to my cousin for a Hot Wheels car. <laughs> Years later, we all find out that they were kind of like all the same, the mantras. But anyway, um, so I got started kind of early, but then wasn't that interested in mindfulness as I was, as I, I mean, or in, in any kind of meditative practices. And I became an activist. I was very involved with political action in, my, in, in high school and college. And then after I graduated from college, I was really, really lost and confused. And what am I doing with my life? And I ended up... Um, I had been an exchange student in Thailand in, in college, and then I went back to Thailand and then ended up in India. When I was an exchange student, I didn't get into meditation at all. I wasn't interested. When I got to India, I, got in, I went to Dharamsala, India, where um, the Dalai Lama has his government in exile. And I got involved with Tibetan, Tibetan rights activist groups. And there was all this meditation going on and people were rushing off to teachings and trying this and trying that. And I was like, what is that? But I was too political in my mind. No, that's, for, that's anesthetizing you. Meditation is navel-gazing. There's so many problems in the world. How can you do that? But ultimately, I got really curious. And I ended up going to some teachings on meditation. And I heard... Um, I remember I would sit in the back of the room with these big bars of chocolate and unwrap them really loudly. Like, <laughs> I was very skeptical. I'm very, mm, I don't know about this. And, I rem- and then I remember going to a teaching, and this was, I decided to do a retreat, and the teaching was about what's called the four worldly winds, the four worldly winds, or the four truths about the world. It's actually eight truths, but four pairs. And the pairs are that there is, where there is pain, there's pleasure. Let's start with the good ones. Where there's pleasure, there's also pain. Where there is gain, there is loss. Where there is um, fame, there's also disrepute or lack of fame. And where there is praise, there is always blame. And so the idea is that our world is this incredible jumbo, like, like a, a roller coaster. Our world is this roller coaster. And we're going up and down, and sometimes we're going after the wonderful stuff, but oftentimes we're ending up with the difficult stuff. And there's pain, and there's gain, and then there's loss. And, and this is what our lives are like. And what happens is we're kind of tossed about, right? We're tossed about by all the challenges of life. And we're so we think everything's going great, and then wait a minute, what happened? And when I heard this teaching, there was like something that went off in my mind and I'll never forget that moment. And I heard the teaching and, I, and it was like, this explains my life. This explains my life. I'm always seeking the positive, especially in particular, I'm seeking the praise, wanting to be successful, wanting to do well, wanting people to give me attention, wanting, wanting to be praised and terrified of blame. And so I just remember sitting in that meditation hall and like tears running down my cheeks and going, gosh, this explains my life. Because the idea is when you live like this, there's a lot of suffering, right? There's a lot of suffering. But then the teacher said, there is a way out, And that way out is to practice in order to create a mind of what we call equanimity, a mind of even-mindedness and balance, even in the face of the conditions, whatever life brings. That we can have a mind of balance no matter what life brings. And here's how you do it. You meditate. And I was hooked. That was it. It was like something happened for me and I just dove in. And then a few months I was practicing there and a few months later went to Thailand and encountered my first mindfulness meditation retreat. And I remember having to... My my most vivid memory was that you slept on a slab of of, um, cement and that you had to check your shoes for scorpions. That was my most vivid memory of that retreat. But I also remember this moment where I, I raised my hand and I said, I said... 
I've been meditating now for five or six days and um, I feel like I can't get my mind to stop thinking. I can't get my mind to stop thinking, but I think I had a moment of peace. And the teacher just kind of laughed at me and she said, you're not supposed to stop your mind from thinking. We're not, do you know that? You're not trying to stop your mind from thinking. If we were trying to stop our mind from thinking, good luck. Have fun. Our minds don't stop thinking. And there are very rarefied states of meditation where that can happen. But for the most part, our minds are thinking. Our minds are thinking all the time. But what we learn through this practice is to have a relationship with our thoughts so that we can learn to let go and come back into the present moment. Because the present moment is all we've got. The present moment is where there is ease and relief. The present moment is where there is connection and intimacy. The present moment, this is, what, this is why everybody's in love with mindfulness. Because mindfulness takes you into the present moment. There's a beautiful quote, if I can find it, from um, a Tibetan teacher named Minjur Rinpoche. He says, We don't have to look outside the present moment to experience wisdom, compassion, and the boundless purity of our true nature. In fact, these things can't be found anywhere but the present moment. This is it. This is all we got. We're here. Right here. Can you be here in this present moment? Just right now. You're doing a good job. You're here. And what happens? Our thoughts take us out into thoughts of praise and gain and fame and when I get this, then I'll be happy. And when I, I mean, this is what our minds are doing all the time. Or struggling with strong emotions or self-critical thoughts or comparing mind or judging. I mean, this is what, this, that's the, the human mind. It's, it's constantly doing these things. Why is it so hard to pay attention to the present moment? Because our minds, our brains, have been wired for threats. Right, this is what the, this is, has helped the human species survive because we're looking around and making sure we're not getting attacked by saber-toothed tigers or dinosaurs or you know, whatever through the history of human evolution. We're able to, we have a mind that's very good at moving very quickly. And so when we say to you, okay, let's come back in and be in the present moment. Let's be in the present moment. It's not usually what happens. So, Mindfulness is a training, it's a practice. Now the definition that I use for mindfulness is paying attention to our present moment experiences, that's what I've been talking about, with openness and curiosity and a willingness to be with what is. Paying attention to our present moment experiences With openness and curiosity, that's how we pay attention. We're open to the experience. We're curious. Not curious in like thinking about the present moment. Oh, is this present moment such and such? I don't know about this present moment. But but being being investigating the present moment and and a willingness to be with what is, which is like the attitude in which we, we bring to the present moment. This willingness. Now, for some of you know John Kabat-Zinn's definition, he says, um, he uses the word non-judgmentally. And I'm not crazy about that term simply because people judge all the time and then we hear that we're supposed to be non-judgmental and we think we're doing something wrong. Your minds will judge. I bet you anything your mind has judged since you've been here. Have you judged? Raise your hand if you have not judged something or someone since you've been here. Okay, there you go. Proof. Zero. The answer is zero. Nobody. Of course, our mind is judging, comparing. It's what the human mind does. And so, um, so can we bring an attitude, and I'll talk more about this, but an attitude of this willingness to be with what is. This is a beautiful quality of, of mind when we can have it, when we can show up for life with, okay, I can be with what is. I may not like what is. I may work really hard to make sure what is doesn't happen again. But at this moment, this quality of being with what is is, is an important piece of mindfulness. So, 
let me just say a little bit more about thoughts I started to talk about. So thoughts are what appears to take us out of the present moment. But actually thoughts are happening in the present moment, in case you haven't noticed that. Where else would the thoughts be happening? They take us into the past. They take us into the future. If you were to check into your mind at any point in the day, you would probably, not on retreat because you're working hard not to do this, but you'll find it here too, your mind is in the past, replaying things, going over it, why did I do this, I should have said this, why did this happen, you know, our mind is in the past, or it's in the future, planning, obsessing, catastrophizing, going into the worst case scenario, anxiety is living in the future of the what ifs, what if this happens? We're rarely in the present moment. Sometimes we're in the present moment kind of wishing it were a different present moment. You know, like, oh, this is not good enough. I want to be somewhere else. And so mindfulness is this invitation to the present moment here and now. And as we do this, as we start to be more and more in the present moment, as you're probably seeing, the thoughts will take us out, but we can notice those thoughts. And we can, I, I, I'm still, I'm still um, Alex gave that incredible analogy about our mind is, is when it's having thoughts, it's like it's sweating. And I, Alex, to be honest, I can't, I can't decide if I absolutely love it or think it's disgusting, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, we're sweating thoughts? Ew. But it's right. I mean, the, but the, the image, once you get past that, it's really... <laughs> It's really interesting. It's just our mind, it's like secreting thoughts. That's what we're doing. That's what the mind, just like our, our heart is pumping blood. Our body, our, our, our mind is producing thoughts. As part, and, and, and even I think in his analogy, even more so because we're working at trying to be present. And so then there's more thoughts that come. Now, so like I said, we're not trying to get rid of our thoughts. We're not trying to stop our thoughts. We're just trying to notice them and come back into this moment. And the, the simplest analogy that I often teach is about not getting on the train. Like our thoughts are like a train. You have a, you have a, th- a thought, oh, I wonder what's for, for dinner. Hmm, is it going to be as good as that pesto, pa- or whatever that, yeah, it was pesto, right? Pesto noodles that we had. Oh, but that was really good. Oh, and I love that salad, that Caesar is vegan, and I love, maybe I should become a vegan, blah, 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 right? And your mind is just, and it's like you've gotten on this train, and you're now 20 miles down the, tr- down the track. So at that moment that you realize that you are on the train, you're on the thought train, you have a choice. When you realize it, that moment that you realize it, by the way, that's mindfulness. The moment that you wake up from that dream, right? The moment you wake up is, this is mindfulness. And then you can get off the train. How do you get off the train? You come back to what's happening in the present moment. Usually your breath, or the sounds, or your body, your feet on the ground. You get off the train. Another option is to never get on the train in the first place. And what's that mean? When the thought arises, oh, I wonder what's for dinner, we can note it as thinking and just come right back to our breath. And therefore, we're staying at the platform. We're not, let, we're not getting on the train of thoughts. And this, is like, this is, can be really interesting. Have you had that experience today when you suddenly, like you kind of caught a thought at the beginning and it didn't go down the tracks? Yeah. Sometimes I, the, another analogy I use is like a, a balloon. Um, sorry, not a, well, oh, I did use a balloon analogy today, but it's a different balloon. <laughs> um, a, a, like a, a thought bubble or a thought balloon coming out of a cartoon character's head, right? A little thought bubble in the comics. And the thought is there and we take the pin of mindfulness and we just go pop and then the thought disappears. Did you have that experience where the thought just kind of disappeared? It's really amazing that mindfulness can, can actually, just through the act of attention, it can, it can allow a thought to evaporate. Now, sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes you sit there and you try to be mindful of something, and you're thinking, 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 thinking. It's not going to work, right? So you just notice that you're lost in thought, and that's actually okay. And it's almost like you take a step back with your mindfulness, and like, oh, I'm really lost in thought. Isn't that interesting? That's okay. But you're still mindful. Do you see how you're still mindful? Even if you somehow can't be mindful, you're mindful of the fact that you can't be mindful. That's interesting. 
one more analogy with thoughts. It's like, um, is a snowball. When you think of a snowball and it picks up a little bit of snow and then it starts to pick up steam and it gets bigger. Well, it starts to pick up snow, not steam. <laughs> anyway, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger until you have this giant snowball and you're just lost in your thought and emotion and it's so overwhelming. But if you had caught it when it was just a little snowflake, it would, um, you would uh, be a lot happier, right? Not lost in thoughts of praise and blame and gain and loss and pain and pleasure. Because I'm talking about snowflakes, I immediately, my mind, snowballs, my mind associates to Calvin and Hobbes. Does anyone like Calvin and Hobbes, right? He's great. So there's a wonderful um, Calvin and Hobbes where he's sitting up in the tree with, with Hobbes, and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have the comic in front of me, but he's saying, he's saying, Calvin, so there's Calvin, if you don't know Calvin, Calvin's like a six-year-old boy and his tiger who to him is not imaginary, but is, um, is a stuffed animal to everybody else. But he says, Calvin says to Hobbes, I don't understand grown-ups. They're never in the present moment. I am so in the present moment. I love being in the present moment. Um, the present moment is the best place to be. And um, Hobbes, the tiger, looks at him and says, yeah, but you're supposed to be in school right now. <laughs> and then Calvin says, well, I didn't want to be in that present moment. <laughs> right? It's like, it's like, what does our mind do to take us out of the present moment? So thoughts, working with thoughts. That's what I was talking about, working with thoughts, not letting them snowball, not letting them train. And all of this goes back to how do we work, how does attention work? And that's really where I want to kind of focus for a little while is, is how, what are the mechanisms of this practice that we're doing? And how does it work so that we can understand the nature of how awareness operates and how being mindful can affect, uh, can affect our experience. So what I mean by that is there's something that I call, there's, there's different ways of being mindful. There's a, there's a lot of different ways. Awareness works in different ways. So awareness can be very focused or awareness can be very broad. Awareness can be um, focusing on one particular thing, or we can be focusing on many different things. With our awareness, we can be working really hard, or we can be really relaxed. So there's different ways of being aware. And as I'm talking about this, I'm now going to give you an experiential... Before I say that, I want to say this. I... I see this as a spectrum. There's something I call the spectrum of awareness. And it's really the spectrum of ways to be mindful. So there's one way to be mindful, which is really narrow, paying really close attention. That's what we've been working on today. That's what we've been working on today. We've been really trying to just stay with our breathing, stay with our breathing. When our attention wanders, we bring it back. So that's called focused awareness. Then there's this, this another, another part of awareness where, where we're starting to pay more attention to different things, where awareness gets more flexible. I'm going to go into these in a little more depth in a few minutes. And then there's a third type of awareness where it's sort of like we're just naturally aware. I call it natural awareness, where we're just aware. I'm going to give you an experiential so before we do it, so you can, um, before I talk about it, so you can understand it a little bit more, the different ways of being aware. And it's really important because when you start to understand this, you can really learn to work with your practice and be mindful in different ways when different ways are needed. So in order to do this experiential, I'm going to enlist the help of my colleagues up front. And I'm going to ask you to do something, which is I'd like you to, when I say so, Move however you want. Just move your body in any way at all that you want to move. Because I, I want you to, you'll see. All right? Can you do it? It can do expressive dance. I don't care what you do. But just be, do something that is moving. If you want to just go like that, go like that. But, all right? So here's your job. I'm going to give you three different ways of being aware then you, so we can understand this. So let's just, everybody, just take a moment. We're going to do a little tiny meditation here. Just take a moment. You don't have to change your posture. You can if you want to. But just get centered for a second and be here. And you're going to do it with your eyes open. Okay? The whole thing is going to happen with your eyes open. 
So everybody up on the, this area stage here, start moving your body a little bit in some way. I don't care what you do. And if you are out, one of the yogis, one of you out there, pick one person to look at and just notice their motions. And you might even hone in on one part of their motion, like just their hand moving or something. So just do it for a minute. There's other things happening, but we're basically ignoring those other things. So you've just found one person to notice. Thank you all for being good sports. Okay. Now pause for a second. Everybody pause. Just so we can take a break and relax. This is hard work up here, right? Sorry, you guys. <laughs> I'm making you do this. All right. So that's, that's, that's number one. Here's number two. And we're going to do it again. Do the same thing. This time... Let your attention go to whatever grabs it. Okay, so you might go to Carol and then to Nisha and then to Alex and just whatever grabs your attention, let your attention go to any of those things. Okay, ready? One, two, three, go. And notice that your attention may jump from one thing to the next. And something might pull you, but just let your attention kind of bob around. And we can stop, we can rest. We need to rest, you don't need to rest. <laughs> okay, so we're just taking it, we're resting for a moment and just notice that. Now you notice that the first way and the second way, they're really, they're different. You're being aware. You're being aware, but you're being aware in a different way, in two different ways. Okay, here's the third one. Ready and move. <laughs> Thank you, please. Just do something, anything, I don't care. And I'm going to ask everybody to just settle back and see if you can notice everything happening at once. Without trying, without making any real effort, but just you can naturally just be aware of all that's happening. Just going to settle back, soften your belly. it all be happening at once and you're just there present with it okay stop thank you for doing that I'm sorry I didn't warn them in advance this was coming because I anyway did you see the difference in that third type of awareness right so the first one was a focused attention or a focused awareness. The first one was focus. And this is where we begin. This is how I like to teach, that this is where we begin. We want to focus our awareness so we can gain some stability, calm, clarity of mind. And that, the analogy is like looking at the... Um, just one thing. And that's what you've been doing. You've been just noticing your breath in your belly, noticing, noticing this object, which is your breath, over and over. We choose something neutral, okay? For most people, the breath is neutral. If the breath, neutral, I mean you don't like it, you don't dislike it. If the, if the object is not neutral, if the breath is not neutral, it's not going to work because you're going to be sitting there like, I don't like my breath. Some people, for some people... We don't, we don't like being aware of our breathing. It's uncomfortable, right? It's kind of uncomfortable and weird. Um, so that's why we give you other options, like the hearing. So it can be either a single object or a group of objects, like sounds, to be aware of. When you focus on a neutral object, over time your mind begins to get clarity. It, needs to, it begins to settle. It begins to calm down. So if anyone's ever seen, this is an activity that's done with little kids a lot. They, one of those um, jars or snow globes with sparkles in it. You get a snow globe and you shake it up and then you, tell the ki- and then you put it in front of the kids and you tell the kids to just take some breaths. And as they take the breaths, the sparkles start to calm down until finally they're settled at the bottom of the globe. 
And this is what this is what happens to our mind. We focus our attention and it gathers, it calms and settles. And that's why I think it's a great place to start because for most of us our minds are so scattered, right? We live with scattered minds most of the time. So a focused attention is really really helpful. Another analogy is um if you think about if you've ever um when you were a kid, maybe you did this, you had a magnifying glass and some newspaper and the sun was coming in and, you, and it went through the magnifying glass and it burned the newspaper. Did you ever do that? Do you even know what I'm talking about? <laughs> okay. Um, nobody was a pyromaniac as a child? <laughs> a few of you are raising your hand. Okay, good. Just to make sure. So what the analogy is that what's happening is our mind is scattered. The rays of the sun are scattered. But when they're gathered together, they have a power. And that power allows us to, um, helps, us, helps us have clarity helps us have strength of mind. So that's why we're doing this. So that's why today we're spending our, our, our day trying to come back to the present moment to do this focused awareness practice, which is at one end of the spectrum of awareness. Now the second thing that, it, the second one I talked about, so that was the first one when you just noticed one person. The second one I talked about was when you, oh, I kind of missed this one, but that's okay. So when your attention went from to different people, right? So sometimes your to- attention is focused, but sometimes your attention is flexible, right? You went, you you noticed, you noticed people over there, people over there. Your attention had a flexibility to it. Why is this helpful? Once you've developed a little focused attention, then you can start to investigate experience. You can start to, when you're with your breathing, and then you notice that your leg hurts. So you turn your attention to your leg, and you feel it, and you notice the achy feeling, and you follow the aching feeling, and it's getting stronger, but you're able to be with it, and you're aware and present. This has a more flexible attention, right? We're not keeping ourselves straight here in the pre- in, on our breathing. We've turned our attention to something that's that is um, something else other than just our main focus. And sometimes we'll notice, the, the, we'll notice the achy leg and then we'll come right back. Or we'll notice a sound and we'll come right back. So I could have had you do that with us. You could have picked me, stay with Diana, then notice Jill, then come back to Diana. Am I confusing you? Just let me know if I'm confusing you. I hope I'm not being confusing. I'm trying to explain. It's sort of complicated, but hang on, hang here with me. Um, okay, so we have the, so we can, and sometimes your attention is so flexible that you can notice all these things happening in your meditation practice. And you begin to investigate things. So we could be calling it an investigative awareness. We could be noticing it as very investigative, like, oh, I'm noticing that I have a thought and it's coming and going. Or I have an emotion and I can be present with it in my body. Or that there's a burning feeling in my arm and now it's moving up my arm. We're investigating the nature of our experience. The, the, um, our awareness is more fluid, right? More fluid, more flexible. The third type of awareness is when you just settled back and you just were able to know and be. And this awareness is what we can call um, natural awareness. And this awareness is the invitation into the awareness that is already present inside you, that's already here, that's here all the time. That all you have to do is kind of acknowledge it. Our minds are naturally aware. Here, I'm going to give you another, t- another um, exercise. Right now, for the next 30 seconds, don't be aware. Ready? Go. One, two, three, go. Don't be aware. Seriously. I mean it. Okay, stop. Now be aware. Were you able to do it? Were you able to not be aware? Of course not. 
Anybody? Come on, there's somebody who could do it. No, you can't do it because our minds are always, there's always awareness happening. Whether we know we're aware is another story. We don't always know that we're aware, but we can, we can, we can tap in to this awareness that you experienced when I said, just notice everything. You didn't even have to try. Because focused awareness often takes a lot of trying, and natural awareness takes a lot of untrying, of not doing. So sometimes an analogy is like you pedal your bicycle and you work really hard. You're biking, you're biking up the hill, and you're biking and biking and pedaling, and then you get to the top and you just coast down the hill. Focused awareness coming back, coming back, coming back to the present moment. Flexible awareness coming back, a little bit more ease to it. Folk, uh, natural awareness, you're just there. So I'm going to just put the, I, I just want to kind of lay out this landscape for you because you'll be seeing all of these happening in your practice. And it's not like one is better than the other. It's not like, like, oh, focused is better than natural or flexible is the best. Absolutely not. There's no hierarchy. They all are important. And you'll go through different things at different times. So if you're feeling a little spaced out, focus your awareness. If you're feeling really present and you just want to kind of settle and be, do it. We're going to talk you through over these five days days, we're going to talk you through the different types of awareness. So we're starting today with the focused awareness. And then we're going to start to get more investigative and more flexible. Okay, if I've thoroughly confused you, just ignore the last 10 minutes of what I said. If it made sense and you're kind of interested and you're seeing in your practice, then see how it's useful to you. I want to go back to a few of the things just to to, to hit on a few more important pieces about mindfulness and what we're doing here. So I mentioned this attitude of non, well, sometimes called non-judgment, but what I like to call willingness to be with what is. We can be so critical of ourselves and it shows up in meditation practice all the time. It shows up in, we, you know, oh, I'm a bad meditator, that person's doing better than me, I shouldn't have taken so much food. I mean, it, it can show up all day long. So I just want to encourage you to be really kind. Alex talks to you about, you know, treating it like in this, like you're a loving puppy. Where our minds are pretty shameless. Have you noticed? Our minds can say anything. And if we get mad at ourselves, sometimes there's a voice, get back to the breath. It's not helpful. It's like you're the, um, I don't know like a traffic cop. That way, that way, get back to the breath. It, it's, not a, it's not a loving and kind approach. So I just want to encourage that. And because what happens as we cultivate these different types of awareness, as we start with the focused awareness and begin to get more flexible and move towards more natural awareness, we start to have a capacity to be with all of life. And so this is where I want to kind of go back to what I was talking about in the beginning about these qualities of what we call equanimity or even-mindedness or balance that happen through this ongoing determination to be with things as they are. Again and again, coming back again and again to this present moment. When we're sitting here and our body is aching and we don't run away, we investigate it. Or we mindfully move our posture when we have to. Or we are, um, we're meditating and suddenly we have this memory of something we feel ashamed about or we feel loss. And that we can just pile on the judgments on ourselves or we can remember that mindfulness has this quality of compassion and kindness connected to it. And we can hold ourselves in a loving embrace. And just like if your best friend were to um, do something stupid, you're not going to say, hey, that was so stupid. You're going to say, oh, you made a mistake. I'm so sorry. Here, here's what you can do to, um, to work with that. 
You want to have that same attitude with yourself. How can we be kind to ourselves in every moment? It's not easy to do. I just want to encourage that. So we're practicing the mindfulness. We're practicing cultivating this awareness. And we're going to be mindful, not just in here, but when we're outside of here. We're cultivating walking down to the dining hall with awareness, eating with awareness, brushing your teeth with awareness. Just come back to whatever is the most obvious in the present moment. When you're brushing the teeth, maybe it's the movement of your arms, or maybe it's the sound. Or if you're putting on your clothes, it's the feel of the shirt as it comes on your arms, on your skin. Go to what is most obvious. Bring your attention right there and see what happens when you meet life with this intimacy, with this connection. We repeat this over and over. It's a little bit like mindfulness boot camp here, right? You're just, you're working at being attentive in the present moment, in the present moment. And as we do this over time, our minds settle and calm we start to begin to, we begin to see reality differently. We begin to come into ourselves and our bodies and hearts and mind and know ourselves in different ways. I think when I go back, I was telling you some, my own story. When I started meditation, the thing that impressed me so much was how much I learned about myself. I'm hoping that you'll have insight. So sometimes this meditation practice is called insight meditation. And insight is not the same as knowledge, as book learning, right? Insight is the insight that arises through investigating our experience. It's kind of like instead of, instead of a head knowing, it's more like a body knowing. It's a body knowing. And people will have all sorts of insights as they practice. Insights into, the, into how the practice works. Insights into your childhood. Don't sit there and dwell on the insights into your childhood. Just notice them, right? Just notice, oh, that's interesting. We might have insights into reality. People talk about feeling connected, connected and being out in nature and suddenly feeling like there's no separation between themselves and the trees or the earth, the ground. Allow these insights to come because they're a fruit of this practice. They're a fruit of this practice. And this quality that I talked about, this quality of equanimity, it comes as you practice. Moment after moment, meeting your experience, being intimate with your experience. It's incredible when you suddenly realize that I just sat through pain and I didn't run away and I didn't try to numb myself and I didn't hate the experience. I was just with the moment-to-moment experience of pain. And suddenly there's this quality of well-being that happens inside you. This is how mindfulness works and develops over time. We see insights, we have equanimity. I would say, for myself, over the years of practicing, more and more sense of ease and well-being and willingness to be with what is. There's a story I often tell, but it was um, so important to me when my daughter was little. She was... um, We had taken her to the, she wanted to go see this play. We had taken her to this, it was like a play, she was about four. And um, she didn't love crowds. She was very phobic of crowds and noises. And I said, and it was Halloween. And I said, okay, well, I'll take you there, but it may be kind of noisy, it may be hard, but I think you can handle it. And we got there and it was totally noisy, totally noisy and crazy. And I just started to feel horrible. I was like, oh my God, I just took her to this awful place. What am I going to do? And, um, and I started faking it and pretending that everything was fine. Oh, sweetheart, it's not so bad. It's fine. Look at it. Everything is great. And she looked at me and said, Mommy, no, it is noisy. And I went, oops. And she said, but I can handle it. And this is what mindfulness can do for us. It can give us the capacity to meet and handle life. 
so that we're not running away from things that are hard, frantically searching for the good stuff, running away from the difficult stuff. We have this strength and capacity to be with what really is. And this is so needed for this time. This is so needed for this challenging time in which we live. People who have a strength of mind and a strength of heart. So as we practice, as we practice the different types of awareness, and again, as I said, if it was a little mysterious to you what I was talking about, just follow with us this week and I think you'll see the different ways that awareness operates and why they're useful at different times. But as we practice, we'll find ourselves resting more and more in a quality of being that is this quality of being that's inherent to us, that's our natural birthright. That everyone inside, all of us, has this capacity to be aware to be connected, to be compassionate. This quality of awareness, this luminous quality is inside all of us. It's not separate from who we are. And there'll be moments today, maybe, or maybe tomorrow or the next day, where you'll kind of get that. Well, you'll be meditating and you'll be aching. Oh, this is hard. And suddenly there'll be a moment where you go, oh, wait a minute, was that peace? I think I just experienced peace. Wow, that was pretty cool. Allow those moments to be there. Allow the moments of compassion and connection to be there. Oftentimes we're so used to depression and anxiety and grief and sorrow and hatred and all these states of mind that we forget. We think those are real. We think those are real, right? So I'm just going to encourage you to look for the beautiful moments. Uh, I, didn't mean it's re- I didn't mean we think those are real. What I mean is we think those are home. We think those are home. Like we live on Anxiety Street or Depression Boulevard or Anger, Anger Avenue. But with practice, we can start moving to Equanimity Street and Kindness Road and Compassion <laughs> What's left? I don't know. Lane, thank you. (laughs) Right? We can. We really can. And this is the promise of the practice that we can transform our hearts and minds so that there's more and more love and more and more connection, more and more intimacy and depth and beauty of our lives. This is what mindfulness is about. I think this is why everybody's falling in love with mindfulness because they experience it and they see for themselves that all of the things they associate with me, 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 me don't have to be kind of clung to, held on to tightly. And that we can come into these places of peace and goodness inside ourselves. And how do we do it? We just start practicing, really. This is what we're doing. We're practicing, coming back to this moment again and again creating a calm, stable mind so that we can investigate ourselves and reality and recognize the awareness that is inherent in ourselves in every moment. This is our work here. And there will be ups and downs, and there will be strong emotions. And guess what? Mindfulness is great with strong emotions, and we're going to teach you how to work with that. And we're going to teach you how to be mindful in the midst of difficult thoughts, in the midst of judgment, in the midst of our bodies aching and crabby, in the midst of noise. We can be mindful in the midst of anything. We can handle it. We can handle it. Okay, let's just take a moment to relax ourselves and just kind of check in and be where we are and just kind of, just seeing, like, what's happening inside me? Diana talked a lot. Just notice what's here. Notice what's here. Can I be with this present moment exactly as it is? With openness and curiosity. 
Let whatever is here be here. We can have so much space in our hearts and minds. While we're sitting here, I'm going to leave you with one last analogy for those different types of awareness. Focused awareness is like a sailor on a ship, guiding the rudder, moving to the left, to the right, trying to get to a destination. Flexible awareness is like a scuba diver underwater, noticing all the fish and the coral and the seaweed and the flow of what's happening underwater. Natural awareness, it's like the water itself. So thank you for being here. Keep going. Um, Dinner is coming. And just be good to yourself, okay? Thanks. We have an announcement, which is, if you're a bell ringer, please ring the bell. (laughs) People haven't been ringing the bell, so make sure you ring the bell and ring it loud. We really got to hear it if you're a bell ringer. Double check if you're a bell ringer. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.